We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Jess, we'll keep this going. Are you ready for rapid fire? I am ready for rapid fire. We are, this is, it is about time we got into some rapid fire because we were deep into the special teams unit. Now it's time to have a little bit of fun. That's right. So which is the bigger loss for the Irish this offseason, Brian Mason or Harry Heastand? Man, (laughs) this is such a tough question. I'm actually going to go with Brian Mason because I think that he was, younger I think he had more kind of ahead of him and I'm not taking anything away from Harry but obviously Harry retired and I think Harry was not a fan of of the recruiting as well and I just think there was a lot more potential down the road with with uh, Brian Mason and potentially what he could become and so I was more excited about that so if 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 we're taking that uh in terms of you know losses I, I'm gonna have to go with that because I, again, I, I was more uh, a fan of what was coming in the future with Brian Mason. Yeah, you kind of stole my thunder because I, I think that that is an excellent point. Just like I, I think when you hired Brian Mason as a special teams coach, you're probably thinking you're going to get at least five years out of him. Out of him with Harry Heastand, you know, I don't know exactly what the conversations were like when they when they brought him out of retirement, but they did bring him out of retirement, and he came back and. You know, so how long you were expecting to get out of Harry Heaston, I think that you were probably thinking that that Brian Mason was going to be around a little bit longer, and you know, and he's young and all the energy and everything that he brought to it. So I think that you were probably thinking you were going to get more out of Mason. He quickly became a hot commodity, though, in in the coaching world. So, you know, and then yeah, as as D Rock Irish just said, when when you look at at like the replacement value of Brian Mason and all those stats that we ran through, Mason is a huge loss. And you know, while you're talking about guys who were both elite at what they do, he stand with the offensive line coaching, Brian Mason with the special teams coaching. Like it, it looks like you're probably going to at least get someone who's going to be a better recruiter you know, on the Biagi side replacing Mason, but there's, there's a lot to be proven, you know, with, with what he can do, but he does, he has had some success in his background. And then you look at, at Joe Rudolph, I think that he is going to be a suitable replacement for Heaston. There'll still be some drop off in the short term there, but I think that the guy, you know, has a solid track record of coaching 
offensive line. You know, regardless of what he was as an offensive coordinator, he's got a really solid re- track record as an offensive line specific to what Notre Dame is looking for. So I think the drop off is is I, I think the bigger loss is with Mason, the special teams coordinator, because of the whole the whole package there. Yeah, and it's kind of piggybacking a little bit off of what you were saying is, uh, you know, Harry Heaston is great, and he's going to take it, you know, a little bit better, or not even a little bit, like better. Like he's just going to elevate, you know, wherever he's at, he's going to elevate it when it comes to offensive line. But Notre Dame set a standard, and, you know, when he was here, yeah, he started that standard, but they when they left, yeah, they tapered, but they were still very solid at the offensive line position. They still generated a lot of offensive line guys. He's kind of come back, reestablished that again a little bit. And I think Notre Dame is still going to draw in those offensive line guys. I, I like, like I said, I'm not saying that they're going to like, yes, they're going to get worse without him, but it, it's still like that worse is still a lot better than most programs in terms of offensive line production. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Fill in the blank. It means blank that Michael Mayer ran a 4-7 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine this weekend. Um, to me, it, it, it's, I know it's supposed to be, uh, you know, big news, but to me, it's not big news. And I, I'm not saying that it's, you know, Ill, irrelevant by any means. Um, but I mean, there's guys, there's, there's guys, you know, NFL tight ends that have run really good NFL tight ends that run between four, five and four, seven. I think as long as, as long as he can get that down to maybe like a four, six number by the time, you know, he has his, his pro day, I, I think he'll probably, you know, do the Notre Dame pro day and probably run the 40 again to me if he can get that down into the four six range it's completely you know not even a problem it's an afterthought does the four seven kind of hurt the eye a little bit sure but i i don't think you know that again that it's going to be a serious knock on him in the grand scheme of things i don't think you need to be a four four or four five tight end just to be an elite tight end in the nfl and again as long as you're not you know pushing like four eight four nine five oh i don't see it as a big deal yeah, I mean, there's 
I think it, it becomes confirmation bias for anyone who wasn't sold on Michael Mayer going into that. Right. You know, you know, it like didn't help him out for the, skept- the skeptics that were out right. there. Right. And I think it makes it dicey just in terms of first round. Like, is he going to be a first round pick? How much does this affect him being a first round pick? Like when I looked at at sort of the the you know, not just the time, but the way he ran. Like he looked like it was it was it was a little bit harder for him just to get to that four seven than for some other guys, you know, but like Cole Komet ran a 4.7, but he was also 262 pounds. Michael Mayer was down about 16 pounds from his listed playing weight at 249. You know, see, so he got that down there. Does he try to drop maybe another five or so pounds going into that pro day to try to get closer to a 4.65 or even a 4.67 or something like that? It's it's amazing though, just how much a couple hundreds of seconds, you know, affect. What you think about? I know. Guy. Well, Rob Gronkowski ran a four six eight, and and that's like I was going to run some comps here in a minute. Gronkowski was four six eight, so it's only two hundredths of a second. <laughs> that's what I mean. I feel like it's like just where? like the height of four seven is what gets people off. If he could just get that down to like four six nine, I literally think like one hundredth of a second better, and it's it's not a it's really not even a. To me, it's not a big deal at all, but for everyone, it won't be a big deal if you can get that into the 4-6 area. Right, like Anthony says, 4-7 four, four, wasn't great, but his running and catching the ball drills were good. You're right, but all anyone's talking about, you know, whether it's Daniel, Jeremiah, or whoever it happens to be, the conversation is still about the 40 time. You know, because again, it's confirmation stuff. You sh- what 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 the people who like Michael Mayer and he interviewed great, you know, like you hear, there was a lot of good talk going into all the testing. It was really good because of the fact that, you know, the interview stuff, great. You know, like when you listen to Michael Mayer talk, there's, there's a lot to like about his confidence and everything else that he has. Here's some other comps. Travis Kelsey at 257 pounds ran a four, six, three. So again, slightly better. Gronkowski at 258 pounds, 468. Now, a lot of people didn't like my, or at least some people didn't like my Jason Witten comp that I was talking about last week. Because again, like, especially if you're younger and you didn't watch all of Jason Witten's career, like, all you think about is the end when he was heavier, wasn't nearly as quick. He had lost a couple steps, blah, blah, blah. Jason Witten ran a 465 at 264 pounds. So, like, think about, you know, so, like, that is still my comp because of not just the speed, but because of the ability that Michael Mayer has as an actual pass catcher, the ability to get open, the ability to run routes, you know, the hands that he has, all those different things. Jason Witten is still my comp for Michael Mayer. Like, are, 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 do, you, do you buy that? Do you buy that comp, the Witten comp? Yeah, I do buy it just because, again, I don't think that Michael Mayer is going to be this guy who is going to just, like, cut people off running routes, like break off, you know, um, cornerback safeties and stuff. Like, he's not going to create a lot of generation just by his route running. He's going to use his frame, his big catch radius, his hands, you know, the the ability to catch a lot of different types of passes and, and just, you know, get in front of people essentially, and that's, 
again, that was largely what Gronk did. Gronk wasn't a guy that was going to, you know, burn past you or whatever. He was just going to use his size to get by you once he got the ball. And again, that's what Mayer's good at getting, you know, downfield straight line. I think he's very good at, you know, breaking tackles, uh, you know, getting downfield and, and such a thing. And so, yeah, you know, you look at Witten's 40 time, four, six, five, kind of the natural frame, the good catching ability. And a lot of the stuff I just spoke about, I think that that is, you know, a good, you know, comparison. And like you said, a lot of people get caught up with how Jason Witten looked towards the back end of his career, but the man still caught almost everything that was thrown to him. And that's, that's why he, and by the, the way, NFL he's going so to the long. hall of fame. <laughs> yeah. He's know, gonna, so yeah like, that's why he lived in the NFL so long as he caught just everything. He never dropped anything. Right. He was a good inline blocker. And that's, that's what Michael Mayer has proven himself to be over the last year. Yes, that is exactly what I think Michael Mayer can be. He has the innate ability. He knows how to get open in certain spots, find spots on the field, you know, break down the zone, whatever it happens to be. He can do all that stuff, and he can use that body size and what are pretty soft hands, you know, to shield off defenders and make big – you know, how many times did we see, you know, him thrown to in double teams this year? Well, yeah, and his, you know, his background – and basketball is going to be a large benefit as well because he knows how to use his body to go up in space with other, you know, that's all basketball is, is going up and in, in contesting, you know, rebounds off the board, going up as a big man and scoring down low, you're going up against bodies. And that's, that's what's going to help him in the NFL is, and, and like someone pointed out that catch he made against Boston college, like that stuff that helps is knowing how to use his body in the air and be right. able to, you know, shield off and kind of honestly, like, He's like a wall. Like when guys run into him in the air, he, he's, his body doesn't move, but the other person does move. And I think those are things that you just naturally can't teach. And a, a 40 time isn't going to be able to kind of show those things. Yeah. And, you know, I think the 40 time is only going to hurt him in terms of the first round. You know, I think it makes it a little bit more questionable. Does he go in the first round or is he a day two kind of guy? You know, that's. But again, he's going to have a chance to at least improve on that 40 time at the pro day coming up here in a few weeks. Fill in the blank. It's blank that Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson has people talking about him as a possible number one quarterback picked in the draft after he had a good weekend at the Combine. It is chameleon-like that uh, Anthony Richardson has people thinking that he could go number one overall. And I say that because, you know, a chameleon can kind of do different things to blend into its environment. Right. And so that's what Anthony Richardson did at the combine. He had all these great athletic numbers, you know, the broad jump, the vertical, big the 40 yard dash, four, four, just, three. just showed you overall that he's this big athlete. Well, let me, let me put a couple things to, you know, the broad jump and vertical don't mean much as a quarterback because you're not jumping for balls. You're not, exactly. you know, leaping side to side. Your job is to stand in the pocket and throw the ball. So yeah, the 40 time is good because we've seen Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, you know, these type of quarterbacks, Justin Fields, who can create plays with their feet. Sure. That's great. But again, those other things just don't, those, those don't add up what it means to be a good quarterback. And I think people are getting kind of caught up with this inflated, you know, yes, he's a really good athlete, but flip on the game tape. You know, it, it, the, the game tape is what I'm more worried about. And he had flaws in the game tape. And that's why going into this thing, he wasn't highly regarded because of his game tape. But, you know, all of a sudden, because he has some good times and some good measurables that people are just turning a blind eye and not looking at these things. So it's really baffling to me because 
you know, outside of that Utah game in the very first game of the season, it's not like he played incredible the entire season, you know? Yes. And so I don't know. I, I think it's again, very chameleon. Like he's kind of doing things to blend in and kind of take some, take some spotlight off of his actual game tape. And that's, you knew that there was going to be somebody coming out of the combine who was going to get totally overhyped because they tested well in, in, you know, in a span of a couple hours. And this is the opposite spectrum of what's going on with Michael Mayer. Richard, you know, like a four four three forty time. Well, you know, you're right. You know, it's, I guess it's nice if you can run a little bit as a quarterback, especially in the NFL right now, but you know what numbers I care more about than a 40 time for a quarterback. Let's start with completion percentage, which was 53% for this guy this year. And the fact that he threw nine interceptions against just 17 touchdowns. He was a so-so quarterback for a six and seven football team this year. They were six and six during the regular season. They went to a bowl game and lost, you know? So like it, it's, you can't get caught up in this. Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, look at the game film because they were still infinitely better than this guy. But I would, there's no way that I would take him at the top of the draft but he's still being talked about like they're, they're they're talking about this guy, you know, like the lions could take him or, you know, all the, like the Panthers could take, you know, like still these teams in the top 10, this is not a quarterback I would take in the top 10 of the draft just because he, he, you know, he, he ran a, a couple skills tests pretty well. Let me ask you a follow-up question. What was, what got more, more of your attention? The fact that Anthony Richardson had such great, testing measurables or that will levis puts mayonnaise in his coffee and is irrationally fear feared of milk from what i heard today and he, those aren't false by the way everyone he I claims heard. that he only did that once he said it's not a regular thing he claims he only did it once that is that is disturbing mayonnaise with anything <laughs> is disturbing with me like that—that's just a non-starter with me. If you're if you're legitimately using mayonnaise that often, but yeah, that just sounded disgusting. Like that—that sounded something like that. Duke's Mayo is on the line, and they're ready to give Will Levis, <laughs> you know, a sponsorship here pretty soon. I'm surprised he didn't have an NIL deal with right. Duke's Mayo this season. <laughs> All right, how about an established? NFL quarterback Derek Carr looks like he's headed to the New Orleans Saints. Do you buy or sell it as a good move? You know, I buy it as a good move for someone like Derek Carr. I think he needed a change of scenery um, and, and get out of the Raiders organization. I buy it as in it's a pretty solid pickup for someone like the Saints who kind of been reeling ever since Peyton and Breeze have left. Um, so I think it's a it's a potential good marriage. And I think, yeah, overall, I think it's, you know, kind of what both ends needed. Me, myself, I'm not, like, sold on uh, Derek Carr as, like, an elite or, like, a top 10 quarterback. And so, as a franchise, I like, if I were a Cowboys fan and I was in the exact same situation, I wouldn't be happy about, oh, yeah, we just went out and get Derek Carr. Like, that wouldn't make me um, thrilled. And so, yeah. So, like, to me, I'm just very much on the fence with it. But I, I do have some breaking news to add to this little question. Okay. Gina just signed a three-year, $105 million extension with the Seahawks. So I'm actually more excited about that one because I think it's a good break for Gino. I think, it again, it shows – we've talked about this before. Um, Pete Carroll, I think it just shows 
you know, his kind of overall brilliance. And, you know, Russ had a lot of success, leaves and, and doesn't have success. I think Pete Carroll has more of that to do with, you know, Russell Wilson. So I'm happy for Gino, and I think that that's a better a better use of money than, than Derek Carr. That's the only reason I bring it up, because I like that deal more than I like Derek Carr deal. It, the Derek Carr thing, I think it's good for him. For You know, for the Saints, you basically have a decision to make. Do you... Do you just kind of not totally tank, but, you know, are you willing to maybe stink for a year so that you can get another good draft, you know, be in good draft position next year to try to rebuild what you have? Because they're one of those teams that minus this season, they were consistently good for a long time, obviously, when they had Drew Brees and Sean Payton together, but they're in a rebuild type situation right now. But, you know, so do you do that? Do you kind of you know, pluck it away with, with whatever you can find, you know, maybe do you, you know, would they have kept, you know, Jameis Winston around or whatever? They, they obviously decided that they're going to go with Derek Carr instead because in the division they're in, it's a completely winnable division. Yeah. You know? And so. You, it's like you have Olave and if Michael Thomas can stay healthy at wide receiver, right. you have some legit weapon, you know, legit weapons at the wide receiver. Right. So now you go out and you get Derek Carr. And at least for right now, anyway, you've got the best quarterback in the division. So why not make a move like that if you think you can compete and go out and be in the playoffs? So, I, you know, I think it's I think it's a decent move both ways around the Geno Smith deal. I think you're absolutely right. You know, like we were talking recently about Russell Wilson throwing the shade at at Pete Carroll and the GM up there and trying to get him fired and all that stuff. And we were talking about, you know, like I think it was Michael Wilbon who said, you know, he was trying to blame Pete Carroll for bad coaching. And that's why Russell Wilson is in the situation that he's in. <laughs> Pete Carroll, I think, was saving Russell Wilson from himself. I and I think he's, he added a lot of longevity to Russell Wilson's career. Yes, yes absolutely. And just look at, at what he got out of Geno Smith who was already, you know, at, at the point in his career where he was, he was labeled kind of, a career backup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he became one of the better starting quarterbacks in the NFC last year. So good for Geno Smith. I'm I'm glad for him. You know, like I had even heard, like we were just talking about Anthony Richardson, like maybe a place like Seattle would be a good place for him. Like when you look at what Pete Carroll did with, uh, yeah, with Geno unfortunately Smith. that's not happening now. <laughs> you wouldn't think so with what they're going to give Geno. So, Good for Gino. It worked out. And good for the Seahawks as well for that man. Yeah. Last follow-up question I have on this. I sorry, I just think that this kind of has a lot of implications. Do you think that this kind of you know solidifies what, what the Jets are going to be doing at quarterback? Do you think it's kind of Rogers a bust at this point? It seems like it. It it I, I think that that's they're gonna try to go all in. I'll be curious to see what uh what um they're gonna be willing to give up to potentially try to go out and make a deal. Like if they think that they can compete, I don't know what else they're going to do because Derek Carr and, and Aaron Rodgers were the only two, you know, two names that you really heard there. And the, the Jets desperately need a quarterback. So now I'm getting a critique <laughs> from Irish Falcon. Sean, your video presentation needs improvement. Your ad casts a shadow on your eyes. Your camera angle needs to be brought up level with your chest. See too much of microphone. Great show, though. Well, there's only so much I can do. You know, until Brian is willing to invest some money in my setup here in my room. A full studio. Yeah, that's right. There's only so much I can do here. So 
we'll go with what we've got for now anyway. But I appreciate your feedback. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Next question. Let's move on to some basketball. Scale of 1 to 10. How confident are you in Notre Dame women's basketball's chances to host and advance in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, so you know, going into the this weekend, Notre Dame was a, a top, you know, or a, a, a nine or ten kind of national ranking, and we had this discussion last week that, you know, me personally, I think that they should have been a two seed going into the 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 weekend and kind of you know figuring out things from there. Considering you know Virginia Tech's ahead of them, UConn's ahead of them, they they beat those teams head to head, but we won't get too much into that, and so. I don't think that losing in the semifinal after a very strong regular season without your top player, um, I don't think that that should hurt you. And I think that they should be a lock for a top 16 team in the country. And I believe that they should host. And I have, you know, every um, inclination that they will do just fine in those first two games because, you know, essentially you're, you're getting to play around a 14 seed. And then after that, I think you get down to like a seven or an eight seed. And I have faith that they can get out of that round. I think the round of 16 is where I would get to be a little bit more uh, worrisome, essentially. So I have a lot of faith that they're going to host. I think I'd, I'd give it a nine out of 10 that they're going to host and win both both of the games that they host. And I think, you know, that with the potential of Miles being out for the first game of the tournament, you know, getting to be on your home court will kind of ease some of the, the pressures or things that might have come with that. And I just think the Louisville situation was a bad situation for Notre Dame to be in. You know, you turn the ball over 22 times, you shoot 31% from the floor, you're going against a Louisville team where it meant a lot more to them. This is the third time that you've played them in a span of like 20 days, high emotions. You're without your best player, just a big kind of formula for an overall letdown. And that that's what happened, but they can wash it. You know, this is the ACC tournament. It's not the NCAA tournament. And again, I think they're going to be just fine in those first few games that they get to host at home. Yeah, third time in 16 days, to be exact. Chi-Town is, is not, you know, not <laughs> in there right now. He's well, they beat a very solid NC State team in the quarterfinals. Yeah, if they play like that, it should be fine in those first two games of the tournament. It's a nine and a nine for me. Nine that they host, nine that they advance. I'll at least leave wiggle room, you know, that that one you know, for, for whatever to happen. And I know that there are some skies falling people out there, you know, like Chi-Town apparently, <laughs> who think that because they lost a lopsided game to Louisville in the ACC semifinals, it's the end of the world. Because to answer some questions about Olivia Miles, we still don't know at this point, you know, what's going to happen with her. And, you know, like how there's some people who think, well, okay, they figured out 
how you guard Sonia Citron, you know, the day after she scored 28 points and then, you know, right after she had scored 27 against Louisville before that. The last two plus months, who have you played? All your teams in the conference, right? Teams you play every year, which means that they're more familiar with you than, you know, when you get to the NCAA tournament. And in Louisville's case, again, Third time they played in a 16-day stretch. And guess what? Jeff Walls is a pretty good coach. You may not like him, but he's a good coach. And he went to the Final Four last year. And he had an answer that he didn't have a week earlier when Citron lit him up for 27 points. But there's a lot of familiarity when you're playing these conference teams. And again, like Louisville thought Louisville's players, you know, I was sitting there courtside. You should have heard the stuff they were saying. They thought they were going to beat Notre Dame on their home court on senior day when Citron lit them up for 27. Didn't happen. And they had a burr under their, you know, under their coats there coming into that game in the semifinals. Notre Dame was one of six top 10 ranked teams, by the way, in the country that did not get past their conference semifinals this past weekend. Indiana was number two in the nation. They lost. Utah, number three in the nation. They lost to an unranked team in the Pac-12 quarterfinals, Washington State, that was the number seven seed that went on to win the Pac-12 tournament. Kansas men, you know, like spin it to the men's side. They lost to Texas this week, and they might end up with the number one overall seed in the men's draw. You know, like you said, you get to the NCAA tournament. One, teams don't have the familiarity with you Two, you're going to play some lower-seeded teams right away. And then even, you know, like those next games, you know, like they're a number four, you get a 13. Then you get a six or 11. Or, you know, like if you're a four seed, you get a five or a 12 in the next round. So I'm still really confident, with or without Olivia Miles, that this team is going to host and that they will at least get to the Sweet 16 in the tournament this year. Yeah, and it's it's such an advantage to play those games on home court. And it's such an advantage that if you're going to be without your best player, potentially that you get to kind of have a a crack at it before, not that every game doesn't matter, but you get a crack at it before you get down to the 16. And and that's where it really gets, you know, tight. And I'm not saying that they should overlook any of these first games by any means, but it's a way to kind of gain momentum going forward with things that I talked about home court, the advantage of having a really strong regular season and getting some of these lower seeds and, you know, rolling into to the games that that increase in, you know, magnitude um, as you go down. And, it, and, you know, listen, it's like the ACC tournament means a lot more for or not even ACC. These conference tournaments mean so much more for so many different teams, for so many different reasons. Like Louisville right. needed to have a good tournament, potentially, you know, win it all to even get a berth to the NCAA tournament. So it's just like, there's a lot more th- underlying well, things going on. They were getting in, but they had a chance to host, you know, like had, right. had they won. Now their chances to host, they might still have an outside chance. I guess what I'm saying is when it comes good. to these postseason yeah. tournaments, a lot of teams have ulterior motives. And right. for a team with Notre Dame who's trying to figure out how to, you know, play without their best player, they had other things kind of going on. And so I just think it was a bad formula on the wrong day, essentially. Yeah. And that's how you spend the next couple of weeks now. You know, you talk about you get a lot of you get some rest now. Yeah. And whether or not Olivia Miles is going to be there. And I agree with what a lot of people are saying. I mean, with Miles, I do think that they they are 
uh, you know, not even a dark horse, but would have a really good shot at making it to the final four, depending on what the path happens to be. Without her, I still feel like they're at least a sweet 16 team, you know, and, and you know, maybe still with a chance to make a little bit deeper run. But obviously, the deeper you get in the tournament, the better teams that you're going to play. And you need a player like Olivia Miles, who is the runner up for ACC player of the year. Uh, Mark Hughes had a question earlier. Why is it so hard to teach Ebo how to take the proper angle and go up strong? Also, since they have trouble breaking full court pressure, why don't they inbound the ball right away? I mean, they, you know, again, I think the problem that they had with full court pressure has had more to do with like Louisville just had a great defensive game plan and they were tenacious, you know, tenacious D, uh, you know, out there. That's that's what it was. Saturday. They had a great defensive game plan and they attacked Notre Dame all day long. I, I I still think whatever problems they had Saturday, you can write off to who the opponent was and the experience, you know, with that opponent. As to Ebo, I'll just say this. She's a fifth year player and she's played it. This is her the third program she's played in, Penn State, Texas, and now Notre Dame. And she's putting up career numbers since she's been at Notre Dame because Carol Owens is an excellent post coach so you know are there you know some things that, that you'd still like to see differently from lauren ebo yeah but she still gives them you know really quality minutes as much as she can out there you know they're and and again she's she's having the best numbers of her career you know so i i don't i don't know how much more there is for her to go from there you know you some you would like to see her kind of finish a little bit stronger at times around the basket. You know, that's that's the one thing that she's probably still working on a little bit. But she's coming down to the to the stretch drive of her career now because whatever game you know it, that that they would lose, then that'll be the last of her college career. Let's flip it to the men's side. Men's basketball plays Virginia Tech in the first round of the ACC tournament tomorrow. Scale of 1 to 10, what chance do you give them to win? See, this is um, this is a tough question. Again, you know, it, it's just a matter of is it going to be the team that came out and stomped Pittsburgh or is it going to be the team that came out and got stomped by Clemson the, the immediately the game after? It's like how do you go from one end to the spectrum like that? But then – you know, you start looking at Notre Dame played Virginia Tech almost a month ago, and they lost 93-87. to 87. Pretty close game. Uh, it's going to be the tournament. I think Bray – I think the one advantage you could give Bray in a season like this is he does have some of that big game. You know, he, he's coached in big games. He's coached in a lot of tournaments. He's coached in the NCAA tournament. He's he. I, I think that combined with, you know, that they played him well the last time and the combined that it's Bray, and I don't think that he's just going to – go out like this, you know, potential done in the last game. I actually give them a high chance and I'm, I'm probably, you know, all things considered going to put a little bit money on this money line for Notre Dame to beat Virginia tech. So I'm, I'm actually pretty confident. I'd say I'd give it overall an eight. Not, I don't know if I'm a nine or 10, but I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the eight just because you're going to talk yourself about. into actually betting money on Notre Dame. Yeah. That's, that's NCAA. high, you know, high reward, high risk, high reward in this situation. All right. Well, you're on a little bit of a roll right now. So, <laughs> I don't know. True. Austin says Irish by a hundred. I don't know about that. I for I, I just I have the feel like this first round game. I don't know why I feel confident 
but I do, you know, again, like maybe it's the, you know, ride or die coming down to the final days of, of Mike Bray's career, you know, because again, like obviously they obviously have to win the whole thing at the ACC tournament to, to get into the NCAA tournament, which, and, and they're not even going to go to the NIT if, if they lose out <laughs> on this thing. So the next game, Mike Bray and the Irish lose is, that's it. you know, that's, that's going to be it. And they caught that juice when they were playing that last game at Purcell last week against what was supposed to be one of the best teams in the ACC. So I, I think if they can, they can get up for a moment like that. There's not going to be quite the same energy in the building. But, <laughs> you uh, mean you mean to tell me that 14 versus 11 is not going to be <laughs> the sellout on a Tuesday on day night? One. That's right. At least it's not a noon game. You know, at least That's it's true. at seven o'clock. They at least okay. putting them in prime time or That's letting right. them play in prime time. I should so say. So I guess you know I, I'm not going to go quite on the same limb as you, but I'll at least go 50 50. I'll give them a five. That's that's probably my confidence, but. You know, let's see where it goes tomorrow night, seven o'clock. I bet we both have more confidence than Vince at this point. I'll guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah, Vince is Vince is already plotting on their loss. <laughs> Irish Irish Falcon says I have a good voice for broadcasting. Well, thank you. I've 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 done some broadcasting over the years. So <laughs> give it my best shot. All right. Well, I think that's gonna do it. For tonight, a lot of good, uh, a lot of good stuff tonight, Jess. Yeah, I, I think finished, kind of closing Monday strong. Yeah, closing thought for me on this kind of whole takeaway is Brian Mason leaving is crappy, but I think that Marcus Freeman has set a standard going forward for what every you know unit and you know is going to look like under his kind of regime, and that gives me a lot of confidence. And the fact that you know that there's a lot of overall interest from these assistants is I think something that we're going to have to get used to. If we, if Marcus Freeman's success is going to lead to assistant success and it's going to lead to assistant poaching. So if you want Notre Dame to be successful and you want Marcus Freeman to be successful, these are the things that are going to happen along the way. And I think it's only a respect or a nod to someone like Freeman. He's only been a head coach for one year and he's had, you know, potentially three coaches, four coaches poached off him, one being Alabama and, you know, one being some of these NFL teams. So I just think it's something that we're going to have to get used to that comes with, you know, a high level coach and a guy that is, is going to be successful. And in the meantime, of course, the coaches most people want to leave are still here. But <laughs> right. <laughs> that's for another day. Unfortunately, how it goes. <laughs> All right, Jess. Great stuff tonight. Thanks, everyone, for being here. We will talk to you manana. Remember, it's going to be Mailbag Tuesday this week. No show on Wednesday because I'll be over at Notre Dame doing some of those offensive newcomer player interviews. Jess, I will talk to you later. We'll talk to everybody else uh, tomorrow as well on Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Bing, 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 bing,